Well, good morning and uh, welcome. Uh, as has been said, welcome, welcome to Bridge. If you're new with us, we want to say welcome as well. It's good to see you all here this morning. And part of the welcome, uh, I realized, is, is that you may not know it or not, but you're a part of a, a social experiment. The experiment is I'm seeing how, how small can I make the font on the outline before you complain. And I'm down to, I think, eight. So, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, we, uh, we're, we're in a series. We're walking our way slowly through the Lord's Prayer, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 uh, on how to pray. And uh, I'd invite you, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Matthew 6. If you have your outline, it's there. We'll also have it um, up here on the screen. And, and we're going to read it together, and I would invite you, I'll read the verses 7 through 9 to, uh, aloud, but when we get to the prayer, if you'd like, I'd invite you to read it aloud with me uh, as a prayer. This is Matthew 6, we're in verse 7, we're going to read to verse 13. And when you pray, Jesus says, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like, the, like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we, uh, we pray now, would you open our hearts to receive uh, a word from you this morning. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would, you would you, even as we pray our Father, we, we recognize you're, you're not one-dimensional. As we think of mothers, you, you also have a, a motherly heart toward us as well. Uh, you you, you want to gather us together uh, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Uh, so Lord, may we be willing this morning. Lord, would you gather us together in, in your love that we could hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, the, the book, The Immortal Irishman by Timothy Egan begins in this way. You see the quote there. For the better part of seven centuries... <laughs> Come on, I'm three words in. I can't, I can't be going on. Uh, for the better part of seven centuries, uh, to be Irish in Ireland was to live in a land not your own. You called a lake next to your family home by one name, and the occupiers gave it another. You knew a town had been built by hands of your ancestors, the quarry of origin for the stones pressed into those streets, and you were forbidden from inhabiting it. You could not own land in more than 80% of your country, the bogs, barrens, and highlands were your haunts. You could not speak your language outside your home. And he goes on uh, to, tell, to tell a very Irish story, but, but it, the Irish story is, the history of the Irish people is a picture of estrangement. To, to listen to that line, first line again, for the better part of seven centuries, to be Irish was to live in a land not your own. It's a picture of estrangement. They lived in a land um, uh, of their ancestors, but they were forbidden to, to possess it because of foreign rule. They lived in their home, and yet they couldn't live as though it was their home. Uh, 
And for seven centuries, they experienced estrangement from the ground under their feet, from their own language, and from their own way of life. And, and I raise that to say, we, we know something of this estrangement. You might not be Irish. Uh, you may not have grown up during that estrangement time. Uh, you, may, you may own your land and live on it, but, but we know something of estrangement in our own lives. We know what it is to, to occupy a space that is not entirely our own. Uh, James K. Smith writes about, about this. He, he describes it in this way. He says, it is a terrible and terrifying thing to know what you want to be and then realize you're the only one standing in your way. To want with every fiber of your soul to be someone different. To escape the you you've made of yourself only to fall back into the self you hate. Over and over and over again and after the thrill of independence and experiments and self-actualization Drinking your so-called potential for being to the dregs when exhaustion starts to set in and then eventually morphs into a kind of self-disgust. You can reach a point where you know you want a different life but are enchained to the one you've made. Uh, a happy note here on Mother's Day to begin with. <laughs> but, 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 but we know this, don't we? We know this about ourselves. There's a certain sense in which we're estranged from ourselves. We know we want to be different from what we are, and yet we are enchained to that place that we can't get out of. We know that no effort of self-improvement of the Irishman could change the status of the land that they lived on. No matter how hard they labored to cultivate that land, to make it their own, to build fences, they couldn't restore it to themselves. And what they needed, what they needed was a new reign, they needed a new government to oversee them, to restore. They needed a right king to be restored from their estrangement. We need, we cannot improve our way out of our self-estrangement. We need a new reign in our lives. We need a new king. And, and there's good news, brothers and sisters. We're a good news people. Don't, in, in 2022, don't forget, Christians are good news people. Amen? We've got good news. The good news this morning is that Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come. He, call, he teaches us to call for that new kingdom, that new reign into our lives. He gives us these words, your kingdom come. And this is the second petition. And there's six petitions in this, this Lord's Prayer. This is the second of the six. Uh, and, and in these three words, we see how Jesus restores us from our estrangement to ourselves. And, and I just want to look at three. We're going to just dwell upon each word in order. We're going to look at your as a restoration of us to the king. Uh, kingdom restores us to purpose. And, and the word come, your kingdom come, restores us to our hope. So, so let's look at these things together. Uh, your kingdom come. Your, your, uh, this prayer begins, actually, if you go back to the verse before, it begins our Father. So your uh, is, is a pronoun, it's referring to our Father, it's referring to the Father, uh, which is another way of saying that we pray for a kingdom that is personal. It belongs to somebody. Uh, it's not a kingdom, it's not a kingdom come, 
It's not the world's kingdom. It's not Western civilization's kingdom. It's not America's kingdom. It's not Republicans' kingdom. It's not Democrats' kingdom. It's not Philadelphia's kingdom. It's not a kingdom of good vibes and love. It's not a kingdom that we possess. It's not our kingdom. We pray your kingdom. And when we pray your, we position ourselves before a God who is, he's not a concept. He's not a political philosophy. He's not even a religious tradition. It's a God who is personal. Your kingdom. The personal God. Our personal God. This, this is difficult to, to grasp. Uh, several, several years ago, uh, our family we returned from vacation, and we walked in the door, and our TV was missing. And, uh, and right away, we, we began to then walk through the rest of the house, and we found that each room had been overturned, and, and everything of value had been taken out of it. And the impact of that was one directly for me of, of several weeks and months of sleeplessness. Uh, whenever I heard a noise that following that, that day when we came back to, found, to find our house was broken into, uh, my mind just immediately tried to grasp at all the other possibilities it could be. Right? Surely it's a wind against the window. It's our pet. Um, it's, it's the neighbors. We had some... We had some rambunctious neighbors on our adjoining wall. Uh, ba basically, I was trying to think uh, about anything as a possibility other than what, what, it would, what, it, what would force me to action, which is that it would be an intruder. Right? All the actions that I would have to take place if somebody was in our home that wasn't invited. And so my, my home became a place of, uh, instead of safety, it became a place of suspicion. I was estranged from my own home. And that, that's sort of a picture. A, a, home, a home is nothing if it's not a place to sleep peacefully at night. right? right? And, and, and I had lost that. Uh, I was estranged from my own home. Um, to pray your, follow me with me here, to pray your kingdom is, is to acknowledge that someone else is in the house. Someone is in the house, your kingdom. But we're so estranged from ourselves, we're so estranged from our home, we're so estranged from our neighbors that the sounds in our lives, are we suspect them to be of an intruder. If there's someone else present, we think they're an intruder on our space. And so God is often... When we experience God in the world, and when the world experiences God, they experience him as an intruder. They experience him as something that's haunting the house. Instead of your, the personal God who draws near. Uh, Paul writes of this in, in Romans 1. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so to pray your means to come to terms with the one who's not a stray wind. He's not a super, superstitious thought. He's not an intruder on your space. God is personal. He draws near. He is in the house of our lives. And, and to pray, pray this your is not only, not only that he's personal, but it also recognizes, your also recognizes possession, that God possesses. Uh, God is not only in the house of our lives, 
but the house and all who dwell within it belong to him. And this is particularly difficult to grasp. All of this, I, I know this because I share the culture you live in, the water we're swimming in. Belonging, we have, we have eviscerated the idea of belonging in our culture. The idea that we belong to one another, that we belong to a community, that we belong to God. We live in a culture that has so exalted our individual freedom that we vanquished belonging. And so the news that we belong to God, it lands on us like, like a seed that falls on a rocky place without much soil. And it springs up quickly maybe, but, but, but the soil is shallow. And when the sun comes up, the plants are scorched and they withered because they have no root. So I just want you to sit with a moment with how difficult it is to grasp that when we pray your, God is personal and it's also a belonging. We belong to God. You belong to another. To pray your is then to turn from ourselves. It's for me to turn out of my barricaded room with my bat under the bed and be restored to belonging to God. This is what Jesus, part of what Jesus means when he begins his ministry. He says, repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and turn and belong to the king. Turn to the one who sets right all that's broken. He puts these words in your mouth. He puts your in your mouth for you to pray and invites you to think upon belonging to the personal God. So your, your kingdom come, restores us. We restore ourselves. We pray to restore ourselves to this personal God. But we also pray your kingdom come. And this gives us, this restores our purpose. And this is difficult. Uh, again, kingdom is not a word that many of us use um, in our lives. It's a difficult to get our arms around. If we were to say, um, if we were to talk about a Fortune 500 company, if we were to talk about a nation or even an ethnicity or a small town. There's images that come to mind there, right? There's organizational structures we can, we can grasp. Um, but, but kingdom gives us little to go on. It just sort of feels like maybe out of a genre of fiction, right? Kingdoms are spoken about. Uh, it feels like from a different era, uh, this word kingdom. But so, so let's try and, and understand what is, when we pray your kingdom come, what are we praying for? The, the first thing to to recognize is that when we pray kingdom, we're not talking about a particular geographic location. Uh, when, when the Bible refers to, free, to kingdom, it, it's primarily about the reign and rule of God rather than a specific location. So if the Sixers decided to play their game tonight down at, at Westminster's brand new beautiful basketball court, uh, the game would take place there, right? There, there is a building in South Philly that is designed for the game to be played in. But the game happens only where the players are playing, right? So if, if the game is being played down on the court in Westminster, that's where you're going to go to watch the game. No one's going to go down to West Philly to the Wells Fargo Center and say, well, this is where the game is supposed to be played, right? Because the game is not a geographic location. It's about where the players are actually playing. And so, they're, so they're, 
is the game. I, I hope you're grasping my point. Where God reigns, that is where his kingdom is. So you may go into a church, and that may not be, that, that is not associated, that's not directly because you're in a church, that is one for one, the kingdom of God. It's where God reigns. Uh, the kingdom we pray for has no national boundaries. It is not aligned with any nation or any particular people group uh, or ethnicity. The kingdom is wherever God reigns. So what, what does that look like? Uh, there, the theme of God's kingdom is, is thread throughout all of Scripture. It's a rich theme to look at as God's reign and rule, both now and, and in the day to come. But one way for us to, to think about it is I would ask you, where, where do you think the, the first mention of reign or rule is in, in the Bible? Where do we first hear about reign happening, ruling happening in the Scriptures? It actually comes really surprisingly early. It's in Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And uh, Psalm 8 expands on this. So this is not a one-off, right? And, and I think God is careful with how he describes his creation and his purposes for us. Psalm 8 reflects on this. He says, you have made them, being, being us people, humanity, a little lower than angels, and crowned them with glory, crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. Anybody feel like a ruler over the works of God's hands? No, we'll get to that in a minute, right? Uh, you made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. So, so what, what's one, one way that we see God's reign, one way we get our arms around it, is to know that God's good intention is that for his kingdom to be known through and with his people. God reigns on earth by the obedience of, of those who walk in his ways. It's a sort of a stunning thing to, to contemplate. The scriptures demonstrate this, right? Because think about what the scriptures are. It's, it's people being used to tell God's story. God using humanity to tell the story of who he is. And people are almost always the, the, the instruments, the participants with how God demonstrates his power in the world. There are very few moments in scripture where God just goes ahead and just does something. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know, that, that might sound, you might be uncomfortable with that, but that, this, is, this is the story of scripture, right? Think about it. Moses parting the Red Sea. Mo, the, the Red Sea is parted when Moses obediently lifts his staff and plunges it into the sea. Now, what we're not saying is that Moses is the, 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 the center and the, the, the of that power and authority, but God uses his people to tell his story and demonstrate his reign and his kingdom. All throughout Scripture, we see this. So what comes with God's purpose for, purpose for us is, is a shape for our lives, right? He marks, he wants to, he wants, a part of his generous love is for us to participate in this kingdom with him. 
in a way that reflects what he calls good and evil. And, and as we said, though, it's often something that we don't necessarily experience in life, right? Because to be human is to be continually bumping up against the boundaries of God's design, what he calls good and evil. Bumping up against the boundaries of what he says is good and where he wants to bring his reign in our lives. Uh, and, and we treat those boundaries that God gives us as an infringement upon our personal kingdoms. So what happens when you say and live out, my kingdom come instead of your kingdom come? You, what you're doing is you're exchanging your purpose in God's kingdom for a purpose actually shaped after the reign of sin and death and the evil one. You're exchanging one kingdom for another. Uh, what's this like? It, it's, it's when we come up against the edges of God's, God's good intentions for us. It's like coming up against the walls of an above-ground pool. Anybody ever grow up with one of those beautiful things? Um, you come up against the edges of, of, of an above-ground pool. And it, when we come up against the edge of God's kingdom, it's like this. We're, we're, we're pushing and we're pushing to expand the pool. We're pushing to break the wall down for our kingdom to expand. And what happens when you break the walls of an above-ground pool? What you discover is, is that the pool disappears. What you thought was going to expand your life and expand your freedom and expand your kingdom actually causes the pool itself to disappear before you. And what you're left with is a sad self sitting in, in a muddy yard, right? right? This, is, this is what it is to to push against God's good design and purposes for us, to break against them. So, so how does Jesus meet us here? Jesus comes, uh, he begins his ministry announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And, and when he's doing that, he's announcing the restoration of God's reign by doing what? By reconciling rebellious people to himself. Rebellious people laying in the muck of their own making he reconciles us to himself. And this is actually a hope that a first century Jew would be in tune to, right? They would be looking for the royal line of David to come and restore the kingdom of God. But, but Jesus comes in, you have, to, you have to see, Jesus comes in amazingly surprising and unexpected ways to restore the kingdom. And so instead of coming in power and strength and triumphing over his enemies, Jesus arrives from a no-name town, from a poor family, and he announces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, instead of tightening up the separateness of God's people from the world, Jesus breaks open the boundaries of who belongs to God, to the unclean, to the outcast, to those who are far. Instead of trying to garner support from religious leaders, right, the people who looked like they were at the center of the kingdom, Jesus Jesus reaches out to people on the margins. He heals the sick. He, he heals those who are in need. He feeds the hungry. And instead of a triumphal military victory over the, over the enemies of the people of God, he's publicly humiliated. Jesus is executed at the hands of his enemies. And so Jesus' announcement that the, the, good new, the kingdom is restored, our purpose is restored, through him, seems like a joke. He's publicly crucified before his enemies. 
But, but on that third day, on that third day, Jesus rises from the grave. Jesus gets up from the grave. And what looks like humiliation becomes our victory. What looks like humiliation becomes the restoration of the kingdom back to us. Jesus conquers sin and death. He appears to many. And as we sang about, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And when you unite yourself, when you, when you bend the knee to this victorious king, you then share in his victory over sin and death. Jesus does the unthinkable. He, he brings the water that we've spilled, the, the pool that's disappeared, and he restores it back to us. He restores back our kingdom, his kingdom, in place of our kingdom. And his reign is now known, as we saw in the kids' story, his reign is now known by his spirit through his people's utter devotion of heart, mind, soul, and strength to his purposes. He restores us to his kingdom, and so he restores us to our purposes. So, so what, what does this mean then? How is this, what does it look like if this is true in your life? If this is true in your life this week, what does this look like? I want to just give you three things. Um, your purpose is restored. You're called to join and participate with God in advancing this, this kingdom. Uh, three things, brothers and sisters, quickly. Uh, one, if this is true of you, this week, I, I just encourage you, celebrate the good. Celebrate the good things wherever you find them. Call out and shout out wherever you see king, God's kingdom reflected. Uh, this is actually, so I was actually talking to Steve, Steve Huber about this. How do we share our faith in this time? In a time where the minute you start talking about um, maybe uh, heaven and hell, people just shut you out. Uh, the minute you start talking about the church, people already have a toxic idea of what it is. Here's the, here's the little judo move, as Steve Huber likes to say, um, that you do. And this is very much in line with celebrating the good. What, what, what's the one thing you cannot, you cannot do in our culture is you cannot silence someone's voice. Hello. You cannot silence someone's voice. You can't say you can't share your experience. That's the one thing you're not allowed to do in our culture right now, right? Anybody here, are you with me on this, Right? Everybody has to, is able to share their story. And if you cancel someone, if you, if you don't let somebody share their story, that's how you get canceled, right? Brothers and sisters, celebrate. Here's how you share your faith. Can I tell you, can I tell you my truth about how Jesus has led me through addiction? Can I tell you my truth about how Jesus led me through the last two years? You celebrate the good that God has done. You don't need to talk, you don't need to go in through the, the, you know, down the Romans road yet, right? You don't need to go through the five laws, five, what are they, five spiritual laws? Four? I'll tell you how many times I've used that method, right? You have, in, your, in this culture, you have a story to share, a voice about your life, and no one can cancel that. I have a story to tell you. Jesus can I just tell you my personal story? Jesus led me through this past year when I was faced with depression. That's, that's, and call it my truth, right? That's, that's allowed. It's my truth. You can't cancel that. I have this voice. Celebrate the good that God has done in you. Can I just give you another way to celebrate the good? A very simple thing that I encourage you not, don't brush me off, hang with me. When you go into a store, <laughs> Anne's gonna laugh at me. When you go into a store, when you go out and buy a cup of coffee, 
When you have any exchange with somebody in the marketplace, celebrate that person. Tell them thank you. When you see somebody doing a good job, tell them thank you. Thank you for taking such care of me in doing that. Celebrate the little good that we have. Why is that so important? A dehumanized marketplace is the bed of evil, isn't it? When we just become consumers buzzing around, how much evil comes from that? Here's how Christians can advance the kingdom. We're, we're human to the people standing across the counter from us. We celebrate the good in people. And I somebody did this for me. I'll tell you how this was done. This is a little thing, but it had such an impact on me. I was sitting, <laughs> I'm at a coffee shop a lot. I was sitting at a coffee shop, a place I've been to frequently. They know what I like to get. I get the same thing every time. It was really busy. I sat down instead of waiting in the line. The girl saw me come in, and in the midst of her busyness, she stopped what she was doing, and she came over and brought me and put me on, on my table exactly what I would have, uh, would have ordered before I even paid for it. Now, okay, yeah, kingdom advancing, you're like, all right, small potatoes. But what did that do for me? I, I can't tell you how that made me just, I, I reflected God's love for me in that, right? God sees me. I was a human. I wasn't just a customer walking around. You see that, right? I was elevated into we see people and we celebrate the good in people. So know your community well enough. Know Glenside, know Dresher, know wherever you're at well enough to be able to celebrate what is good about your own community and to call it out and say that reflects the kingdom. Let's be celebrators of those things. And then the second thing, so that's the first thing, um, is is that we also should be people who confront evil. If we're celebrating the good, we're people who vigorously confront evil. And it begins in our own lives, right? We confront and repent and confess the sin and evil in our own lives. That brings the kingdom out. We're people who, who, who confront the evil in our own lives. But then we do it in our communities. Uh, we are practiced in turning a blind eye to the sin and injustices in our own communities, are we not? How used to what goes on in the poorest of the poor around us are we? I'm just used to it. Let us be a, let us be a people who, just in your own life, you can't solve world hunger right now, but you can confront evil. Where do you see evil and injustice in your circles, in your workplace? God's calling you to reflect his kingdom, your purpose is to confront that evil, to call it out. Um, and then the last thing I would just encourage us, um, your purpose is to serve everyone. Con celebrate the good, confront evil, serve everybody. Scripture tells us Jesus is standing at the door of the kingdom of heaven, and, and he, what he's looking for is, did you give a cup of water to somebody who was thirsty? Did you give food to the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Serve. Teenagers, if you don't know how to follow Jesus, here's what you do today. Serve the next person you come in contact to. Just do something for them. That reflects the kingdom. Old people too, by the way. Teenagers, you're not the only ones who forget. Sorry, I'm always at you guys. I love you, teenagers. Uh, we all need to remember. We all need to serve, right? Um, Jesus says in the chapter before this, he says, you are the light of the world. You are a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, right? They celebrate, they serve, 
They confront evil and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, right? We do this with humility, but listen to what Jesus says. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In humility, people, the world needs to see the kingdom reflected in his church. And lastly, we pray. So we pray your kingdom come. We pray your kingdom come. We pray your kingdom come. And finally, we pray your kingdom come. It restores us to our hope. Um, Jesus has achieved victory. Uh, we know this, but yet we still pray your kingdom come. Why do we pray this? Uh, the story is not complete. I don't need to tell anybody this. The battle is not won. Not all the battles are won yet. Uh, we pray in a way that acknowledges that we face trials. And for some of you, all of what, I've, what we've just said may be too much. You may be like, I just need to get out of bed in the morning. And so you need to hone in on your kingdom come. Right? If you're feeling beaten down at all, just stay with that last word this week. The battles are not all won, but we pray. We pray with a longing hope. That even though there's ongoing evil, even though there's injustice in our world, even though there's sin in our own lives, all is not settled. We still pray in a way that, that, that calls us to look and long for God's response. We pray your kingdom come because we have a God who is actually on a mission to glorify himself by bringing healing and salvation to the world. Um, just as a way of closing, closing as, as, as a last thought here, uh, recall uh, and, and actually, I think Ed mentioned it in his prayers. Recall how Jesus described the kingdom. Uh, I, would, I would invite you to go back and look at all his parables of the kingdom. But one of the ways is in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. So, so the kingdom is like a great tree that grows from the smallest of seeds. And so our hope, we pray kingdom come, we hope in something that is gradual. It's like watching the grass grow. It's like watching the tree grow in our lives and in our world, but it's inevitable. It's gradual, but it's inevitable. Uh, we're often tempted to hope in just the opposite way, right? We hope for something that's immediate and short term. But the kingdom hope is gradual and inevitable. Um, we hope with patient certainty as we watch a tree grow. And so this means that, that your hope, praying kingdom come, should lead you, brothers and sisters, to daily look. To look daily. Uh, we, we cultivate hope as we hunt for that growth, the way we hunt for a tree to grow. Uh, which means that you, you've got to be close enough to yourselves. You've got to be close to yourself. You've got to know yourself. You've got to be close enough to others. You've got to be close enough to your neighborhood so that you can see the green sprouting. You've got to be close enough to notice where the branches are, are lifting up. You've got to be close enough. You've got to be tuned in so that we can celebrate and give thanks when we see that gradual yet inevitable growth. And so it's not an idle waiting. We're not tapping our foot. We're people who, who our attention is directed toward where do we see God's goodness reflected around us. And, and I will tell you, 
this is risky. It's a risky proposition to hope in this way uh, because it means that you, you have to pay close enough attention to people in your, life, in your life to notice where God is actually answering your prayers. That, that's my out on prayer. I love to pray for things. Um, but then the next step is to actually look and see, is God answering that prayer in that person's life and in my life? That's risky, isn't it? Because now i got to really come up against, do I believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do? So we've got to pray for a community and our neighbors and then have the courage to find out where, um, where, where that's happening in their lives. Even if they don't know Christ, where do we see in your neighbors' longings and in their desires and what they share with you, where are they, nudging, where are they being nudged by the Spirit toward, toward the kingdom? Uh, the worship team can come forward. Uh, you got to get real down with the, with the nitty-gritty of that. I'll tell you as a special educator, for, for children, particularly with oppositional defiance disorder, uh, here's how you measure growth. You have a chart, and did you have, last week you had five disruptive outbursts in class. This week, let's go for four. Right? And some, we got to get real down to the nitty-gritty of looking and searching for the way God is bringing growth and change into, into our lives and the lives around us. And so, um, so we have energy for this. this. This sounds exhausting, maybe, to hope in this way. Uh, but but we, we can have hope because we know that the king is coming back. We have energy for it because we know it's not an endless toil. The king will return. The king is going to come back and make all things new. So go back to that Irish farmer. Imagine he's told... Guess what? In 20 years, the rain is going to change. Now he's got energy, right? Now he's got, he's got the hope to cultivate the land, to begin to again make it his own. Even though it's not fully his own yet, now he's got the energy, he's got the hope, right? I can, I can, I can toil in this land, I can wait, because I know full restoration awaits. Brothers and sisters, the change in the rain is coming in completeness and fullness, Jesus is going to come and make all things new. So we can hope, we can wait, we can work. We have purpose in his kingdom because we know that that is true. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that we can pray to you, we can ask, we can call your kingdom come and you restore to us, us your personal closeness. You restore purpose to us, God, and you give us hope. Lord, thank you for these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.